Becca and Pops and this is Stories in Color 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 What's up? <laughs> What's up, Becca? How you doing? It's been a minute. Yeah. <laughs> she said, yeah. Like four months. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Well, we back on it though. We just had a little a vacation. We had to get our uh we had to get our books up, but we here, we back. Yeah, we're back. <clears throat> so how you been doing? I've been good. We've been busy homeschooling, been busy working, but um, getting our garden right, you know. So that's for real, for real. That's what's been taking a lot of the time. We've been trying to get our garden right, but we here. We excited. What book you got tonight? I got uh, a celebration of the Voting Rights Act of nineteen sixty five, Lillian's Right to Vote, by Jonah Witt. Illustrated by Shane W. Evans. 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 Okay. Evans. Uh, All right. And I got Seeds of Freedom, The Peaceful Integration of Huntsville, Alabama, authored by Hester Bass and illustrated by E.B. Lewis. Okay. So I'm going to start off. Like I said, the book is called Lillian's Right to Vote. A very old woman stands at the bottom of a very steep hill. It's voting day. She's an American. And by God, she's going to vote. Lillian is her name. It's a long haul up that steep hill. It's a long haul when you've been alive for a hundred years. It's a long haul when you lived that life that Lillian has and walked so far in her shoes. When Lillian looks up, it's more than a blue sky she sees. She sees history. Lillian sees her great, great Grandparents, Elijah and, and Sarah, they are standing side by side on the auction, being sold as slaves in front of the very same Alabama courthouse where rich white men and no one else were allowed to vote. Lillian starts her slow climb. Through the sun shines bright. Though? Uh, though the sun shines brightly, Lillian sees a dark time from years long past. She sees her great grandpa, Edmund, now grown. Edmund, now grown. He's owned by another man, forced to pick cotton from daybreak to nightfall. Right here, this country. Where it is written that all men are created equal. He sure doesn't have the right to vote. In fact, he doesn't have the right to do much at all until after the Civil War, which will end slavery. As Lillian inches up the hill, past one neighbor's house, and then the next, she sees her great-grandpa Edmund on his way to vote for the first time, thanks to a law that was passed in 1870. 
Seventy. The law is the Fifteenth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, which says that American citizens' right to vote, right to vote, shall not be denied or abridged on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. Even through the law does even, not, even though the law does not allow women to vote, Great Grandma Ida is with her husband. Lillian feels their dignity and their pride as they enter that courthouse for the first time. Mm. But Lillian. Continues, and the great hill gets steeper. My, but that hill is steep. She sees what happens just twenty years later, right here in Alabama. There, her grandpa Isaac, at the courthouse, being charged a pool tax to vote, a tax he doesn't have the money to pay. So much for that Fifteenth Amendment. So much for Grandpa Isaac's right to vote. Lillian pauses to catch her breath, hearing now the voices of her uncle Levi. He is telling about those tests that he was forced to take when he was when he tried to vote, and about the sneer on the registrar. Registrar. Registrars. Registrar's face when he asked, "How many bubbles are in the bar of soap?" Her uncle's lips go tight as he recalls being asked to name all sixty-seven judges in the state of Alabama, and being turned away when he failed to answer such questions. As Lillian pushes on, struggling to keep her balance, she sees a brave girl standing next to her mother and father as they try to register to vote. The year is 1920, and the 19th Amendment just passed a law allowing women to vote. The girl is Lillian herself, with her mama and papa. They are being chased away by an、uh, an angry mob. There is Mr. Bentley, the barber, and Mr. McCroy, who owns the ice cream shop. She feels the firm grip of her mother's hand as they run through the streets back home. And today, and though the birds are singing and people are smiling, Lillian sees a vivid orange and bright red. The cross burning on the lawn of her girlhood home, set aflame by the angry mob, just because her parents wanted to vote. This is something she always sees. Lillian stops in her tracks, unable to keep going. As she stands there, she sees herself trying to register to vote for the very first time. She sees the blank piece of paper 
on which she might write down for a section of the Constitution, word for word, as it but as it is began to mumble, mumbled by the he's that registrar, 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 a test she could not pass. No one could. Are you going to vote? She asks the young man who passes her on her route. Yes, ma'am. He answers. You better, she says, and she means it. For Lillian, she sees the funeral procession for a man named Jimmy Lee Jackson, a twenty-six-year-old shot by a policeman over nothing more than taking part in a peaceful protest. It is March nineteen sixty-five, and he wanted. Was justice and the right to vote. Looking up to the top of the hill, Lillian wonders how she'll ever make it. It looks so far, and she's so tired. Through her feet and legs, ache with one hundred years of walking. Which fuels her ancient body in seeing those six hundred people being a peaceful, beginning a peaceful protest march from Salama to Montgomery from, from Salama to oh. Montgomery. People who the people who though they didn't know it yet. Will be stopped on a bridge in Selma by a policeman with clubs. All they want is justice and the right to vote. At the front of future Congress, John Lew. At the front is future Congress John Lewis. Congressman. Congressman John Lewis, who for him will always bear the scar. Where he was beaten. As long as Lillian still has a pulse, she is What's going. What's a pulse, man? I don't know. Like still living, a pulse. That's this a is your pulse. pulse right here, mm. touching your wrist. Oh. Mm-hmm. As long as your heart still beat. As long as as long as Lillian still has a pulse, she is going to vote. And so she keeps on climbing, keeps on seeing this time the second march from Selma. The march also ends on the bridge, in a prayer led by the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., whose dreams of justice for African Americans already famous. Wherever he went. He lifted, lifted the people with his words, and his words still lift up Lillian, who, seeing on the top of the hill, is not about to stop. Footstep by footstep, she keeps on going, just as the marchers from Selma to Montgomery to Montgomery keeps on. Going through the cold and rain, finally making it all the way to Montgomery 
on their third march. She sees them all. Martin Luther King Jr., Martin Luther King, Lewis, John Lewis, rabbis, the rabbis, rabbis, pre, priests, 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 and 25,000 others. Lillian is there. She can still hear Reverend King asking how long they would have to wait for justice. She can still feel the power of his voice when he says, not long. Mm. And as she takes those final steps to the top of the hill, Lillian can see how Reverend King was right. For she can hear the voice of President Lyndon Johnson. President who? Lyndon. Lyndon. Lyndon Johnson on her TV saying to America, Every American citizen must have an equal right to vote. There is no duty which weighs more heavenly on us than heavenly heavenly on us than the duty we have to ensure that right must overcome the crumpling legacy of bigotry, bigotry and injustice, and we shall overcome. Before Lillian walks through the doors of the building, where you better believe she will vote, she looks up and sees the same blue sky, brighter than any sky she's ever seen. Then she saw on that she saw on August 9th, I mean August 6th, 1965. That was the day President Johnson signed the Voting Rights Act, the one law protecting all Americans' right to vote in every state and every town. The one law protecting Lillian as a full-fledged citizen of the United States. She enters the building, and as Lillian steps into the voting booth, once again, she sees herself stepping into the voting booth in 1965 for the very first time, and she knows full well she would not be standing here today where it not... Uh, for the people who marched and the people who died for her rights, for her rights to vote. Lillian touches her fingers to the lever, and because she's a citizen of the United States of America, protected by the Voting Rights Act of 1965, Lillian pushes that lever. Lillian votes. Dang, that was a great book. I mean, think about some of the stuff that we as a people had to go through just to vote, you know? So we started from <clears throat> we started from not even being considered humans, a lot of us, you know, being identified as three-fifths of a person, you know? 
-hmm. after slavery, we got the right to vote. And think about that test. Think about that test, Becca. If I if I asked you to go somewhere, and, and the only way you could go is that you had to pass this test. You had to answer a question. And the question was, how many bubbles is in a bar of soap? That's a weird question. <laughs> think about that. And like, I would like say, I'm right back. I would go home, scrub my uh, <laughs> soap until all the bubbles come out. Yeah. I'm going to count them. And then we would go back and say, 75. And they're like, yeah, you're right. 75? No, that's a that's a question that they don't expect you to get the answer. You're never going to get the answer right. You know? Yeah. So think about the sacrifices that our people had to go through. You know? Just mm -hmm. to get that right as an American citizen. You know, so... <sighs> Salute to Lillian. <laughs> Salute to Lillian. So, in the same vein, we I guess we're going to still keep it Bama. Um, this book you know what Bama is? Alabama. Mm -hmm. yeah. So this is Seeds of Freedom, Peaceful Integration of Huntsville, Alabama. Huntsville, Alabama. January 1962. Life is good in the mountains of North Alabama. Huntsville is the space center of the universe. German scientists, enemies of the United States just 20 years before, are working peacefully beside American engineers. Rockets that will take astronauts to the moon are sprouting beside the cotton fields. But these aren't good times for everyone. A, girl's carries, a girl carries pictures of her feet because she won't be allowed to try on shoes. A boy wants to read but cannot use the public library. And a family tries to eat in a restaurant, but the owner locks the doors in their faces. Huntsville has escaped the violence that has divided some cities into black and white. However, like a lot of spaces in America, there are invisible lines not to be crossed. But change is in the air. Segregation, keeping people separate because of the color of their skin, is on the way out. It's time to bring people together. Time to plan. Time for action. Time to sow the seeds of freedom. Young black men and women, students, sit at lunch counters in the stores downtown. They have money and can buy anything in the store except lunch. Can't use the restrooms either, just the way it is. These students know they will be asked to leave. Know that if they don't, they'll go to jail. But they sit at these lunch counters day after day. It's called a sit-in, a nonviolent gesture against just the way it is. The seeds of freedom are planted in Huntsville. What will it take to make them grow? Water. Ooh. As the first American astronaut circles in orbit around the Earth, black men, women, and children circle around the courthouse. Wearing signs that say things like, I ordered a hamburger, they served me a warrant, meaning they were arrested. Hungry for justice? They certainly were. Children like freedom, too. Exactly. But walking in circles day after day makes them weary of waiting for change. The seeds of freedom need inspiration to grow. 
So a man of peace is invited to Huntsville, a man not very well known, not yet. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. speaks of a time to come when black children and white children will join hands as brothers and sisters. People cheer and rise to their feet, but there's not much in the Huntsville newspaper about it or anything else that's happening with the civil rights movement in town. Reporters seem to agree that segregation is just the way it is, and that if they keep quiet, maybe all these protests will just go away. But the seeds of freedom need attention to grow, so three women decide to do something risky. They sit down and have lunch together. A college student, a doctor's wife about to have a child, and the wife of a dentist with the baby girl in her arms. They're quiet and respectful, but because they are black, they are asked to leave. They don't. The police, who don't want this trouble, ask the ladies to go home. They won't. So the police reluctantly arrest all three of them, four including the baby. It's hard to keep it quiet when a baby goes to jail. Magazines across the nation report this story, sending a wave of worry across Huntsville. The rocket city depends on money from the American government to stay busy with the space program. And this kind of news is bad for business. But the seeds of freedom need news to grow. So another plan is hatched. Is it in the news, not water? <laughs> the people of Huntsville, black and white, usually did a lot of shopping for Easter clothes. For Easter, clothes, hats, shoes. A new outfit could cost $100. So the black leader in Huntsville asked the black people in the whole county to keep a secret. They will stand up for freedom by dressing down. Huntsville will have a blue jeans Sunday. In 1962, only farmers wear blue jeans, and most women do not wear pants at all. Plus, such a public protest could be dangerous. People might call you names, try to hurt you, threaten to take your home, your job, your life. But the black citizens of North Alabama know that money can talk, so they go out of town, even out of state, to buy $5 blue jeans instead of fancy clothes. Some women buy denim fabric and make skirts. Store owners notice when all those new clothes go unsold. Some people think Huntsville merchants lose about a million dollars. Blue Jeans Sunday is a rich encouragement for the seeds of freedom. A little fresh air and sunshine just might do the trick. So what day was it? On uh, Easter Sunday, they said we're not gonna wear like we're not gonna get fresh, you know. And like, I'm gonna wear jeans. Yeah, they're like, you know what? We're gonna wear jeans. We, we're not gonna go to those stores. It's almost like a boycott, you know. Uh-huh. In one of the stories I'm gonna read in a couple uh, next episodes, it talks about um, people in Savannah, Georgia. Throwing down their cards from a store, like mm. saying, No, we're not going to right. boycott. Mm-hmm. So, the public parks in Huntsville are for whites only, but a few black citizens decide to spend Mother's Day downtown in Big Spring Park. The children swing and slide and ride the merry go round. 
People stare, but no one asks them to leave. And ducks don't care what color hands feed them. About a week later, a man is speaking on the courthouse steps, campaigning for governor, George Wallace. He says black and white people should be separated everywhere, now, tomorrow, forever. The black people of Huntsville have a different message. They ride around the courthouse square in the back of a truck, waving flags, playing patriotic music holding balloons filled with the healing and tied with newts that say things like, please support freedom in Huntsville. They let all the balloons go until the sky is dotted with color. Wherever each balloon lands, it will plant a seed of freedom. That would be a cool like, tradition. Mm-hmm. Like, that's nice. Across the country, the call for change is heard. President John F. Kennedy supports freedom for all Americans. It is, a, it is the law for buses, trains, and public schools to be open to everyone. Although, it's not the case yet. Huntsville is prosperous, proud, peaceful. To keep it that way, the mayor realizes that whatever threatens the future of a Huntsville must be stopped. Even if it means stopping nearly a century of custom and tradition and just the way it is. So you want to, like, push just the way it is or you want to bring it? What it seems like to me, the mayor wants to be open for business. He wants Huntsville to keep on making money. So Mm -hmm. he sees the wave of change, and that change is letting black people go wherever they want. So it looks like that's what he went. Let's find out. July 1962. Only six months after the first Huntsville sit-in, victory is in sight. Black civil rights leaders and white city officials convinced downtown business owners to integrate. To bring Huntsville's black and white citizens together in peace. No one wants anyone who might turn this into a violent confrontation to know about this plan. So it's kept secret. Only a certain day at certain lunch counters, a certain time arrives. Black men and women sit down and have lunch beside white men and women. Some ask, is this okay? Lunch counter servers say, this is what we're doing, right? Policemen out of uniform keep watch. But there's no trouble. Over the summer, little by little, people come together at the hospital, the bowling alley, movie theater. The tender plant of freedom is growing, but not in the schools. In the fall, President Kennedy visits Huntsville to see the rockets and talk about freedom. 35 black families asked the school board to obey the law that makes separate schools illegal. But the school board does nothing. Angry voices on the telephone threaten these families until only four agree to be a part of a lawsuit, which won't be heard by a judge for nearly a year. Meanwhile, schools for black children have no library, no cafeteria, and no buses while the schools of white children seem to have everything. Oh, Are the seeds of freedom wilting? What did wilting like disappear? 
Yeah, like dying. Like. It's a peaceful spring and summer in Huntsville in 1963, but not elsewhere in Alabama. More than a thousand black children gather for a nonviolent protest in a Birmingham park. They are met with gushing fire hoses and snarling dogs. It's on television nationwide. The man who wanted segregation forever is now governor. He stands in the university door trying to keep black students out. It's on television nationwide. 200,000 people march for freedom in Washington, D.C. Dr. King gives a speech echoing the dream that black children and white children will join hands in peace. It's on television nationwide. So you see, like, how the people, like, kind of get together. Yeah, everybody's seeing it. Like, fighting for freedom, they're like, huh, we can't even have, like, make a change in a way. Yeah, because everybody's seeing it. Like I said, it's on yeah. television nationwide. You know, in the heat of August, four Huntsville families face the judge. Since the law is queer, clear, he rules quickly, saying, admit these four students to school. September 1963. On the Tuesday after Labor Day, families all over Huntsville are packing satchels with pencils and paper. Four black children prepare to walk into history. Each hand in hand with a parent. Each approaching a school where no friends are waiting. People shout ugly words at them. They are reporters, photographers, Four hands reach the doors that are locked. <laughs> Governor Wallace has closed all Alabama public schools planning to admit black students. Across town at a private religious school with all black students, 12 white students began school without incident in the first case of so-called reverse integration in Alabama. By Friday... Wallace sends state troopers to greet anyone trying to go to public school in Huntsville with weapons and helmets and stern, grim faces to keep the peace, he says. On Monday, September 9th, the students are ready to try again. The crowds and troopers are gone. There are few city policemen, reporters, photographers, and children just trying to go to school. At about 8.30 that morning, Dr. Sonny W. Weatherford III, a leader in the civil rights movement, walks into Fifth Avenue School with his six-year-old son, Sonny W. Weatherford IV, who becomes the first black child to attend a formerly all-white public school in the state of Alabama. Another peaceful first for Huntsville. There will be more work ahead, but through nonviolence and dignity and cooperation and courage, the black and white people of Huntsville have come together in peace to taste the sweet fruit homegrown from the seeds of freedom. Ready to taste the fruit? Mmm. Right, how you like that? I like that. Yeah. I mean, once I mean, we'll talk about. Alabama, and I guess it's probably similar to all of the South, you know? It was a lot of issues with <clears throat> after a lot of our people had become free, you know, after the Civil War, they had almost like this 100 years 
of like really having difficulty from having the right to vote, from having the right to go to schools, you know, a lot of those areas. Yeah, from, you got to think from 1865 to 1965. Oh, you're right. That is 100 years. Mm Mm-hmm. So once you told me, like, after they were free, like, the white people said, look, they're, like, controlling us. Like they think they're going everywhere. They're trying to control us. That was that period of reconstruction. You know, it was probably about, about 10 to 15 years after the Civil War that you saw black people in, you know, a lot of parts of the government and doing everything on local, state, and even, you know, the federal level. You know, we had congressmen. You know, coming out of, uh, I believe, Georgia, but I know for sure, like South Carolina, you know, those, uh, you know, African-Americans that were congressmen, everything. So that was a good book. it kind of showed that we have a, we done came a long way, but we still got a long way more to go. You know, yeah. so, so how you enjoy that? I think overall, that was, that was a great book. book. Cool. It has a little something at the end. All right, well. Perfect. Well, once again, this has been another episode of Becca and Pops. Stories in color. Hope y'all have color, a good evening. Color, 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 color. color. <laughs> Take care, y'all. Bye.